Welcome to 4.0 to Pro, the pickleball podcast that focuses on a single shot, tip, or strategy to improve your pickleball game with every single pocket-sized episode. Our goal is to make you better on the court every time you hear our voices. And now your hosts, 4.something, Michael O'Neill, and USA Pickleball National Silver Medalist, Senior Pro, Scott Fliegelman. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of 4.0 to Pro, your pocket-sized pickleball podcast, where we teach you a single shot or strategy every single episode. I'm Michael O'Neill here in, once again, very sunny Long Beach, California, joined by my good pal, Mr. Scott Flegelman, there in Boulder, Colorado. Scott, I almost called you Dr. Scott Flegelman right now. That is a true story. I'll answer to that. I'm good with that. Today, Scott, we are going to be talking about ATPs, but before we jump into that, I got to mention, as I love to do, if you guys are looking for any carbon paddles, crbnpickleball.com, use the promo code 402P at checkout. You get 10% off of that paddle. And uh, you and I are also both wearing their pivot glasses, and they are uh, amazing. I really love them a lot. They don't fog up on me, and and, uh, they were awesome. And uh, you have a bit of a shout out, don't you there, Scotty? Yeah, great lead-in. I know a couple of uh, badass carbon paddle and pivot-wearing ballers from Rockland County, New York. Caitlin and Gary Ginley came to town this past week uh, for a couple of days of uh, immersive boulder pickleball experience, jumping right in with our open plays, some lessons, some three of me's. Caitlin and Gary came in solid three fives with a really impressive baseline to NVZ game and needed to learn and practice some more offensive skills, some instigating skills, some shield work, getting kind of savvy with the Hydra defense, sending them back to New York ready to take on the 4-0 crowd, and keep an eye out for those guys. Caitlin and Gary, it was awesome having you here at Boulder Pickleball. That is awesome. We're doing something today that has been oft-asked, and I think is shrouded in mystery, and that is the ATP. That is the Around the Post Shot. This is actually legal in tennis as well. You just don't see it as much, but you see it a lot in pickleball, especially at the highest levels. This is a shot, you guys, that I think feels and seems more intimidating than it actually is. In reality, we're eliminating a ton of variables with this shot, including the really big one, which is the fact that you don't actually have to hit it over the net. We're going to hit it around the net. And Scott, it's really funny. When I came over, uh, you know, most recently from higher level racquetball, everyone says, oh God, you must have picked up pickleball so easy because of racquetball. And the reality is, There's barely any shots that translate from racquetball to pickleball because racquetball is a very low, very flat shot. And I would always say, really, the only shot that translates from racquetball is the ATP. And weirdly, it is a perfect translation. It is something that when I first started playing pickleball is like, oh, yeah, I could totally do this. This is totally a shot. And we're going to talk about one-handed and two-handed backhands as well as the forehand, how to recognize it, how to set it up, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we should jump right in, but I would love to hear your overall thoughts on ATPs. For sure. Our converting racquetball and squash players, I think, have a nice advantage here. While it is legal in tennis, it's super rare. We only really get to see this during the Grand Slam events when they've got these ginormous stadium courts that allow them the angle to get around the net. Traditional tennis courts, just the fence shows up too soon. There's not enough room. 
to do that. I really feel like if the founders had it to do over again, they may have extended the net another foot beyond the sideline. One foot, I don't think they were visualizing some of the skills that players have. And boy, the ATP is like the third ground stroke once we get above four or five play. It's just really common. We're going to reference how popular the ATP defense is as well on this show. But, but let's start with with recognizing the ATP potential, because there are some clues that should have all of us excited and amped to to get their ATP on. I do find the ATP a lovely rhythmic shot, because very often you're in the middle of this dink rally. You know, I feel like sometimes the angles get more acute sometimes as you're in this dink rally, and you can really sort of stay in rhythm, and all of a sudden you've got a ball that's really wide. You actually said something a couple of episodes, Scott, that I think is really relevant here, which is let them show you that they have an ATP. I think you said Jill Braverman mentioned that to you. Let's keep them as wide as we can. If they start making you pay with an ATP... Well, okay, but the advantages of going wide on that dink are great. I would like them to prove to me that they have that shot in their quiver. And, of course, many do. Like, as we're going to say, it's not technically the hardest shot in pickleball, but recognizing it is probably the biggest deal. And I think starting with a very acute angled dink rally is the first step. Shout out to Jill for sharing with our students several months ago that one of the key targets, especially right side to right side as right-handed players, is let's not be afraid to hit that high angle dink and get that opponent on the move. To tie in your comment about our targeting show a couple of episodes ago, let's not keep stretching the acuteness of that angle until we give them an ATP and neglect the relevance and the importance of the left foot of the right side player. So at at this level of play, let's mix up those two. And once they've proven to us that they can hit an ATP, we're going to have to moderate the angle that we give them. But until such time, we can keep dinking there. One of the instances, Scott, that does require an extreme movement is if the ball hits the net first. You get a net cord and it comes off at this extreme angle. And then it really sets up for an ATP. But it, it does require like a lot of dynamic, explosive movement to get there versus kind of what I would consider a more rhythmic shot, which is sort of a standard ATP. But if it does tap that net and uh, plop on over, sometimes it really sets up easily for uh, an ATP. Yeah, I get a lot of ATPs in general and especially off of net cords. In general, I don't panic and I coach students not to panic when the ball kisses off the net cord. Frequently, there's way more time than you think. And especially in a cross-court rally when there's a little bit of spin presented, when it hits the net cord and then bounces on the court, it kicks out of bounds regularly and it makes for the easiest ATP ever. It doesn't require much other than stay patient, stay relaxed, don't panic, ride that thing out, and then you can bunt it into the open court easily. And very often, it's obviously right next to the net. I mean, you're sort of right next to that post. And this is probably something that we have to emphasize maybe as the number one point is patience. I think people get very excited when they see, oh, this could be a potential ATP opportunity. And they're hitting the ball like knee high and it hasn't set up yet. There's a window that has to open up for this shot. And it's crazy, dude, how exactly like racquetball this is. So what I do is on my first step, which is a, a typically a very wide step where I'm sort of getting into a, a sideways lunge motion. So I'm really stepping down into that lunge. I'm 
preparing my paddle as I'm stepping. So I'm beginning my backswing and I'm waiting until the last millisecond until that window opens up and the angles actually present themselves before I swing and hit the shot. You've already mentioned it once in this, but you have more time than you think. Ankle height is my key for an ATP. I want to be patient enough to let it get low. Ankle height is what I'm looking for. That lets the angle open itself up, present itself. And then bonus, ankle height is how high I want to hit the ball. It's a very difficult ball to defend when I hit it ankle height. So one of the big mistakes that people make is they might let it get low, the angle may present itself, and then they hit up on the ball. And that either brings it right up into the sweet spot of the defender and or goes long. So in concert with don't hit up, we also want to be careful not to over hit this ball. We're going to be hitting into the open court. Odds are we have executed this shot without the defender catching on. And there's a ton of open court there. So be patient. Let it get low. Let it get wide. Ankle height is best. Don't overhit it. Hit it into the open court. So this is kind of interesting, too, is I think there's a gradient with this particular shot. Meaning when you're first starting hitting them, first of all, the first time you hit an ATP, it's like you won Wimbledon. It's one of the coolest things ever. Everybody cheers. It's one of those shots that everyone loves. You get a lot of high fives and pats on the backs and things like that. I think as you move up the ranks of pickleball, I think the shot gets more difficult. When you're first hitting them, just hitting it is the thing. Just getting it into the court you're going to win 99.9% of those shots. As you start getting better and your opponents start recognizing, oops, we've hit a wide ball, they're going to ATP it, they set up and they defend it, and now you actually have to aim the ATP. As you get further up the food chain, you've got to start choosing, are you going to go short? Are you going to go long? Are you going to try to hit it right at the feet of the person who's defending? So it gets a little bit more difficult as you go, but initially, just getting it into the court is going to result typically in a winning point. And I wouldn't worry too much about the disguise element. Sometimes I make the mistake of being overly concerned with stealthily moving out for the ATP to try to outfox my opponent. And a lot of times they just don't quite catch on and it doesn't really matter. So being patient, don't get overly concerned with duping your opponent directly across from you that you're not going to ATP. Just ride it out and, and let it get low. You mentioned earlier the lunge, and I see this as a, a standard lateral lunge step, especially to the forehand side, which, let's get that right out there, is a much easier ATP than on the backhand side. We'll have a few comments on the backhand side in a bit, but much easier on the forehand side. And it really is uh, a lateral lunge where the knees get soft and you, you get low and let that ball get down to ankle height. And one of the keys to a successful ATP at the 4-0 and especially as we get closer to the pro level is it's not always a clean winner, but let's keep in mind that the role of the partner is to slide to the middle anticipating a weak reply. If that ATP defense comes, it's usually not all that impressive. And the partner of the player who hit the ATP is there for cleanup duty. Let's talk a little bit about velocity, because I don't think we've mentioned this, Scott, which is how hard are you trying to hit this ball? It does require a bit of snap, but you did just mention before that people can hit them long, especially if you're going for that back corner with your target. But in my opinion, if you're going towards the center of the court, you got to put a little juice on it to get it there. I'm curious about your opinion on that. I fall into the camp of not overhitting this ball, especially for what I just mentioned about the role of the partner. If my partner catches on and I hit the ATP low, 
didn't overhit it, get it in play, and the defense comes up big and gets the ball back, my partner is going to put that ball away 99% of the time. So in some ways, this falls under the instigating category or a two-shot combo at the higher levels. Maybe it'll be a clean winner. I don't want to run the risk of overhitting it. And I don't really mind if it comes back because it's going to be a sitter for my partner. Well, let's talk about the partner on the other side. So we're in the middle of this dink rally. I'm on the right. You're on the left. You've hit a very wide ball. And we're playing against Jill Braverman. So you know she's going to try to ATP that ball. I have to recognize as your partner, this ball has enough pace and velocity to swing out wide. There's going to be an angle that opens up. And the person that's directly across from me is capable and has shown in the past they can hit this shot. So I need to get myself positioned to defend that shot. And this defense is not all that difference than what we do in the transition zone where we've got our paddle low in that volleyball dig type position. Legs are shoulder width apart. Our arms are extended right in front of our body. We know that that ball's coming in low because a successful ATP means the ball is being hit ankle height. I like to go out and if I'm not straddling the sideline of the court, I'm just inside it and my paddle is low and I'm tracking with that person. As they're moving, I'm moving. So as they're extending their width coming out of the court, I'm doing the same thing and tracking them because my goal is they're going to whack this ball with a little bit of velocity into the court. It's going to hit my paddle and I need to redirect it back into the court and preferably in some sort of drop or dink that is non-attackable by the partner that we just described goes to the middle of the court and defends. I'm with you on all of that, Mike. I, I like to move kind of on a 45 degree angle out to the side, back away from the non-volley zone, buy myself a little bit of time and space. And I'm going to put my foot right on the sideline, kind of like a defender would in basketball. I don't want to let that player get by me down the sideline. I'm going to force them to the middle. Same thing here. If that ball heads towards the outside of my outside foot, I'm not going to touch it. And if it's inside my foot, I'm going to play it like a shortstop or a volleyball defender and try to softly reset that ball back into the kitchen. If I'm really on top of what's happening, I may try to go high angle cross court because the opponent's partner who didn't hit the ATP is supposed to come over and put away the next ball. I have had a couple of times where I've been able to get a clean ATP defensive winner by going cross-court to where that opponent was, and they're no longer there. A lot of times, you know, I need to have the foresight to say, wow, these guys are good uh, at ATPs. I've recognized the ATP opportunity for them, and I'm able to process what's happening fast enough to redirect that ball into the open court. I just saw a point last week, Scott, of the Johns brothers that had dual ATPs from that exact scenario. Ben Johns hit a backhand ATP, the guy defended it really wide, so then Colin had to run and do a forehand ATP to win the point, and it was kind of cool to see the back-to-back. -back. Yeah, and Thomas Wilson is particularly good at this as well. His processor speed, being much younger than me, must be quite a bit better. <laughs> Michael, you mentioned earlier that your first week of pickleball, you were already getting ATPs, a lot courtesy of your multi-rackets background, especially racquetball. I had the opposite experience coming from my high-level tennis background. I was the victim of ATPs my first couple of weeks in pickleball. I was looking to angle off these volleys 
like one would do in tennis with little fear for ATPs. And boy, the four fives who had adopted me were thrilled to show me how easy it was to ATP those shots. So four to pro listeners, when you're playing those annoyingly good converting tennis players, this is a great way to welcome them to the sport by showing them your amazing ATP and ATP recognition. When they hit that angle volley, they're going to open up your ATP all day long. You know, we also mentioned that the two-handed backhand is better than the one because you can arc the ball into the court. I still have a hard time with that. You and I actually worked on that at Boulder Pickleball because of my racquetball background. My default is to smack a flat one-handed backhand there. And I still have to work on the TUI for an ATP. In fact, I don't know if I've ever hit a successful TUI backhand ATP. So that's something I've got to work on in my game. I love it. And I love watching you do it. I saw you actually do it in the tournament a couple of weeks ago. It's just this lovely arcing and it sort of curves to the right. It's very cool. You're a right-handed player. So your backhand is going to curve from left to right into the court on that backhand. Whereas my one-handed, sometimes if it's flat, will actually curve out. It'll go uh, out a little bit wide. And if I'm aiming for that back left corner, I can miss it by a few inches because the ball sort of goes the opposite way that I want it to. But otherwise, I can steer it into the court pretty well with my one hand, but I have to shore up my two-hander on that particular shot. And like all two-handed backhands, it requires extra crisp footwork to be able to get in the vicinity of the ball a little bit sooner because we have less reach than we do with the one hand. And this goes right back to anticipating the ATP, getting a jump on it, having a great split step early on in the exchange, and getting dynamically out to the ball, then we can leave the left hand on there. And if it's just too far away for the second hand, then we'll go one-handed. But yes, I have missed one-handed ATP backhands wide because the arc of that ball tends to want to slide wide and not curl into the court, which when I put my second hand on there, works out a little bit better. The fourth shot is a particularly interesting scenario for an ATP at the higher levels. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. This one falls under the unique pro tip, whatever you occasionally like to credit me with bringing something secret sauce to the show. If you and I are playing together, we're going to be a really good shake and bake team. We both have a good third shot drive and we're both dynamic enough in the transition zone to put the ball away. So if I serve, they return the ball to me. I'm getting ready to hit a third shot drive with a shake and bake attitude. I hit that drive at the returner. You've collapsed. You're smothering the center they're getting ready to hit that fourth shot and they don't want to pop a ball up to you in the middle. So this frequently results in a rather acute angle. They're trying to keep that ball away from you. And I've had a number of ATPs kind of from the midcourt when my opponent hits their fourth shot, specifically trying to avoid you in the middle. And that ball just gets out wide especially to my forehand side. And I've been able to go around the post on a number of occasions for a fifth shot in a shake and bake scenario. By the way, you guys, I've seen Scott in a tournament on whatever it was, YouTube TV or something. Singles, <laughs> the walk-off, running full speed, forehand ATP. I'll bet you are 15 feet off the right side of the court and you just arced this super slicey, crazy, curving ball back into the court. And it was one of the coolest shots I've ever seen. So props to you. Sir. Thanks, props brother. A lot of anticipation and a lot of guessing on that one. Well, and a lot of tennis. We've mentioned patience and patience and patience on these ATPs. We want to give you every possible chance to open up that angle to feel confident enough to pull the trigger on the around the post shot. 
But what do you do when you, you've waited and you've waited and you've just decided in that thousandth of a second, I don't have it. It ain't there. It ain't there. We need a bailout. We need a plan B in that last moment. And that's going to be a short ball, a plop shot, a little lofted shot that lands directly in front of you at the opponent directly across the net from you. But let's just make sure that is four or five feet inside the sideline so we don't accidentally go from our ATP to their Ernie opportunity. Obviously, like so many other shots, Ben Johns is wonderful at this, where he just softly resets that ball, you know, beautifully right in front of him. But he's mindful that it's not too close to the sideline such that it becomes an Ernie for the other team. I'm much more apt to clang it off of the post. And say, I'm like, I got it. I think I got it. Clang. What is that called? The ITP or something? The in the post or on the post or something like that? So, guys, this is actually a relatively easy thing to practice. You can have a partner uh, literally throw a wide ball off court, and you can just start practicing the rhythm and getting these ATPs in court. You can do that to each side. You keep switching sides. Uh, basket of balls is all you really need for that. If you are dinking with someone, you could just start saying, you know, let's go wider and wider. And if that ATP presents itself, then let's hit it. You know, let's go for it. So, I mean, you got to pick up a lot of balls. It's part of the deal. But... You can practice these, and they are really one of the most fun shots in pickleball. So thank you guys for listening. As always, you guys rock. We love you very much, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to 4.0 to Pro. For more tips, find us on Instagram at 4.0 to Pro. If you have a pickleball question, submit it at picklehelp.com. Now, get out there and dominate. But don't forget to have fun. <laughs>